This program is paid for by Your Radio Doctor, LLC. All opinions or statements expressed on this program are solely those of Your Radio Doctor and their guests and do not reflect the opinions of WPHT or Odyssey. Your Radio Doctor does not recommend or endorse any specific tests, products, physicians, procedures, opinions, or other information that may be mentioned on Your Radio Doctor. Always consult your own physician. Today's program has been pre-recorded. Millions of Americans are losing their medical assistance or Medicaid coverage. If this affects you, Independence Blue Cross can help. You may be eligible to enroll in a health plan for as little as $0 a month. With Independence Blue Cross, you get the largest provider network in the area, including most Keystone First Doctors and hospitals. We also offer free 24-7 telemedicine, coverage for hospital stays and prescriptions. See if you qualify for $0 health insurance and enroll today. Call Independence Blue Cross at 1-844-464-2583 or visit ibx.com slash stay covered. Talk Radio 1210, WPHT, WPHT, HD, WOGL, HD3, Philadelphia. From the Cherry Hill Volvo Studios, where relationships matter. Always live on the free Odyssey app. It's time for the Delaware Valley's first radio doctor. On call every Saturday afternoon at 5. This is your radio doctor with Dr. Marianne Ritchie. Presented exclusively by Independence Blue Cross. Listen, 7 months or 10 months is an absolutely exceptional, exceptionally short time frame to produce this vaccine. Your health determines your life, your longevity, and your happiness. Let your radio doctor lead the way with your medical education. Your radio doctor, Dr. Marianne Ritchie. Good afternoon and welcome to your radio doctor. I'm your host, Dr. Marianne Ritchie. The days are getting shorter and it gets dark a little earlier. Feels like a good time to hibernate or to teach your little children how they should hibernate. So our topic today is sleep training for infants and toddlers And we'll also discuss another one of my favorites, potty training. Joining us is Dr. Lauren Rissick-Vandeveer from Children's Hospital of Philadelphia. Dr. Vandeveer is a pediatrician who sees primary care patients in the Westchester office of CHOP. She was Phi Beta Kappa at Bucknell, a top honor student at our beloved Jefferson Medical College, now known as Sidney Kimmel Medical College. And right out of medical school, she won an educator grant at CHOP where she completed her residency. Welcome, Lauren. Thanks, Marion. It's so nice to be here. I can't think of a better person. Well, Lauren, we know that little babies don't have that circadian or hormonal rhythm um, and natural melatonin levels that adults have that remind them that they're supposed to sleep through the night more than three hours at a time. So let's talk about when um, a mom or dad would think about beginning to teach a baby? At what age do we focus on trying to find a pattern? Totally. I usually tell parents uh, to start sleep training if that's something that they're interested in around four to six months. Definitely not sooner than that, but anywhere kind of in that window. Earlier on, they're not quite ready. They don't have those cycles and, and stimuli that you were talking about to learn how to sleep through the night. And so that's kind of the sweet spot. Obviously, um, every child is unique, right? And there can be other factors that are at play. And so I would always make sure to check with your pediatrician, um, make sure they're comfortable skipping those overnight feeds, getting them to sleep through the night that they're not having any issues gaining weight. Um, But that's typically that sweet spot there around, around four to six months. And I think that's the magic point that you just made. As long as your baby is gaining weight and, and making those milestones that you as a pediatrician see, then if they sleep through a feeding, um, it's probably okay after several months. 
Totally. Um, and then I think part of it is when the baby's ready, but another part of it is when the family's ready too. And so as much as developmental readiness is appropriate, a lot of what we're going to talk about today is consistency and routine. And so making sure that you can pick a time where you can be consistent um, and and kind of you're ready to go too. Absolutely. And one of the things I always had trouble with, um, mama bear to three children and now uh, granny bear to four grandchildren. I always had a problem when the baby would start to cry, or if I put, you know, one of my children in bed and they start to cry, I felt so mean, not guilty, just plain old mean. I can't let them cry, and I'd run in and say, "Here, mama's here," and would sit and would rock and would rock. And I'm sure other parents go through that that um, juggle back and forth. Do I stay with him? Do I pick him up? And I'm thinking I'm the answer is no. <laughs> It's so hard to, and I feel like a lot of the stuff that you'll read in the textbooks, it's, it's so much easier said than done. It's so much easier um, reading about it than doing it in practice. Even as a pediatrician, I was a pediatrician before I was a mom, and I know all the things to say, but when it came to my kid crying in the middle of the night, it is. It's so much harder to do do what you, what you preach. Um, and I think it all depends on, there are a whole lot of different methods and um, they range from very little intervention to um, a whole lot of intervention and there's no one right way. Um, but kind of figuring out when to intervene depends on what method or what technique is right from you. There's like the, the cry it out one, right? Where you're going to put them down after they're ready to go to bed and you're going to let them cry no matter how long they cry for. Um, I think that's probably the hardest one in practice and most people aren't able to do, to do that totally. Um, and then there's just graduated approaches. There's some where you let them cry for a little bit uh, for timed intervals and then go in and check on them and soothe them. And then there's different methods of how you're going to soothe them. Are you going to go in and just stand by the crib? Are you going to give them a little pat? Or are you going to pick them up, pick them up and rock them? Um, and again, there's no one right way to do it. There's no set like, okay, well, if I, I waited out for five minutes or 10 minutes, then that's going to be the trick. It's, it's as much as what's going to work for your kid is as much as what's, what you're comfortable with yeah. too. But I think you're right. There's always a happy medium. I, I think that as a as a, a new mother and I just joined a, a very busy practice, that was my party time with my baby. When I got home, I turned him into a jazz musician. I'm like, stay up till 10 o'clock with me because then I get to hold you and walk around and hold you and kiss you and lick your face and all that good stuff. And so <laughs> I rock him for a half hour. It was, was kind of selfish. It was for me too. But what I like about what you're saying is, Put the baby in while he or she is still awake and they learn to self-soothe. It's a, it's a lesson for life. So what are the steps that you uh, suggest to promote a safe sleep environment? I think that's good to review as well. Yeah, um, I think safe sleep, good sleep practices, they all kind of go together. So um, safe sleep, you'll hear a lot about this um, with when we're thinking about ways to prevent SIDS or sewage, um, which is... Um, sudden unexpected infant death which we've read about um you'll when you talk to our grandmothers and you're comparing how they put their babies to sleep versus now everything's a little bit different right we want to put the baby in a bed on a flat surface nothing else in the bed with them and we've learned over time that it's safest for babies to be on their back with nothing that they can cuddle up smother their face into no bumpers no other stuffies or lovies in in the bed with them um just to make sure that they're safe um especially in that beginning period um 
one of the other things that's really important and the AAP will talk a lot about is room sharing. Uh, they originally had recommended that baby should be in the room for the first year and they kind of revised their guidelines and now they're saying baby should be in the room with parents for the first six months um, which can be hard in practice and is a hard pill to swallow for some of my families the idea there is uh, if they're if they're in the room with you and something is happening it's easier to respond and then when they're not sleeping through the night yet when they're feeding pretty often much easier to, to attend to them at night as well. I agree. And again, the other factor is, is the mom breastfeeding, because if you can just pop out mm -hmm. of bed, nurse the baby, it's all good. Um, but um, I think uh, then there's a time and you know, I'm sure you suggest that you room share, if you want to call it that, mm -hmm. for the first six months or so. Yeah, exactly. Mm -hmm. Room share, but not bed share. Not bed share. Yeah. And I, I love to, uh, Reemphasize that putting the baby on his or her back as a GI doc. When I first heard that, I thought, "Oh my gosh, couldn't the baby aspirate?" But they can turn their heads, and Mother Nature protects them that way. The little sleep sacks—that's the other good thing. They're covered, but they're not going to put it over their faces. And as you say, no plush toys or anything. And the other thing is, as your baby gets uh, is able to stand, you don't want them to be able to pull on a curtain or a cord or anything with sharp edges or corners that they could pull into the crib, right? Totally, yeah, making sure that they're set up in a spot where there's nothing in their surrounding environment that they can get into um, is, is gonna be really important, which it's hard to think about when the baby's a teeny tiny infant and can't get into much, but that goes really fast and they're getting into things and pulling on stuff before you know it. Well, I was surprised too. I, I guess you don't want a baby near cigarette smoke or any kind of smoke or, but, that that bumps a risk for a baby to uh, experience sudden unexpected death syndrome. I never connected that, but it makes sense if they start to cough or choke or they choke on their saliva. Yeah. 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 Uh, there are a lot of different things that can increase the, the risk of SIDS. Um, secondhand smoke is one of them. And it's, we're in the business of keeping babies safe, right? And so if there's any risk factors that we can mitigate, things that we can adjust in their environment, that's that's what we're all about. Mm -hmm. And pacifiers. <laughs> I look back on those days too. But you can offer the baby a pacifier, but don't force it on the baby. If the baby spits it out, maybe the maybe he or she's smarter than I am. <laughs> yeah, and interestingly, I don't think we kind of know the cause. This is more of an association, but it seems like pacifier use drops the risk of SIDS too. I can't explain that one. Mm -hmm. But well, you know what else I find interesting as I watch, you know, people with babies now, you shouldn't let your baby fall asleep in any product or on any product. Well, we mentioned, especially not a couch or something soft, you, you emphasize a firm surface with a tight sheet that can't come loose and you don't want your baby to take a nap on the couch. But the other thing is not letting them fall asleep for an extended period in a car seat or a feeding pillar t pillow. Tell us about that. Yeah. It, and when you think about it, so the, that's more breathing safety. And so when they're on, they're flat on their back, their chest is wide open, their neck's extended. They're able to breathe in that optimal position. When you've got them in a car seat or they're in their little swing or their bounce or they're crunched up into a ball and they're not breathing mm -hmm. in the same way that they could. Um, and so that's not to say it's, you know, the end of the world if baby takes a nap in the car or if they fall asleep in the swing while you're watching them. It's just like, look, we don't want to toss them in there, let them be in there for 
10, 12 hours overnight without you checking on them. So making sure that for those long stretches, when you're not awake, when you're not supervising, they're in a safe sleep space. Um, little cat naps during the day when you've got your eyes on them and other things is okay. And it's safe to start offering a baby a blanket after about the age of one or so? Yeah, mm-hmm. totally. Once they've got the skills to move things around How do we help a baby get to sleep? That's always the issue. I guess keep them as active as possible and make them get them tired out during the day. And and we're talking about little babies just crawling and bouncing and that sort of thing, right? Exactly. Making sure that you're giving them some stimuli, that you're exposing them to a lot of stuff during the day. Um, Daylight, reading, singing, crawling, you know, age-appropriate developmental activities that are going to get their brain firing during the day. If you think about it, you know, if you or I was hanging out in a dark room all day, the difference between daytime and nighttime is all going to mush together. And so the more the more we can stimulate them during the day is going to be great. And then making sure that we're helping signal to them the transition into nighttime too. So we, it is like, there's no, it's never too soon to start your bedtime routine and to start teaching baby, Hey, these are the things that we're doing that mean we're going to start winding down. And that can be anything that can be hopping in the bath, having a little warm bath, um, reading books, singing songs, doing a little rocking in the rocking chair and making sure that that routine is consistent. Short doesn't have to be anything too long, but enough to be like, Hey baby, this is, this is time to, to get sleepy. Um, you're making me sleepy Lauren. No, just kidding. (laughs) And then I like your idea of putting the baby in bed while still awake, but drowsy. And then the self-soothing, gosh, that serves you for the rest of your life when you think about it how to how to keep yourself calm and and the other thing is what do you tell parents about noise in the background life is about noise so you can't ask everybody in the whole world to be quiet when you put your baby is that a you know of course we're going to try to minimize and and no tv no uh electronics in the room that just keeps us all awake right the sound machines are fine um they can kind of simulate some of the noise that was in the womb as long as not too loud, not too close to the crib, but that can be really soothing for some babies. Mm-hmm. I read an article about that, that you want to keep it 200 centimeters. I, I didn't stop to measure that, but that makes sense <laughs> because it, it can be a little uh, distracting for the baby. Let's take a little break and a little nap. And when we return more with Dr. Lauren Vanderveer. Thanks for listening to Your Radio Doctor with Dr. Marianne Ritchie, exclusively presented by Independence Blue Cross. If you have a question for the medical mailbag, just send a note to doctor at yourradiodoctor.net. At Independence Blue Cross, we believe in giving you the tools you need to pursue your healthiest life. From premiums as low as $0 per month to health discounts and cash rewards, it pays to have coverage with Independence. With the strongest network of doctors and hospitals in the region and free 24-7 virtual doctor visits, you can feel confident that quality care is always within reach. Learn more about your coverage options at ibx.com. When Recovery Centers of America at Devon opened its campuses on the main line and in South Jersey, they offered a new approach, local addiction treatment led by an expert, caring team of professionals. RCA has since helped thousands and leads the way in innovative programs and exceptional inpatient and outpatient care, all in a beautiful setting that allows for healing and recovery. RCA answers the phone and admits patients 24-7, 365, including the holidays. All admitted patients and staff are routinely tested for COVID-19. Call now at 1-888-RECOVERY. That's 1-888-RECOVERY. 
Welcome back to your radio doctor with Dr. Lauren Vandeveer from Children's Hospital Philadelphia. Lauren, great tips on how to help a baby get to sleep and create a safe sleep environment for your little doll baby. We want to know too, it's, it's good to, for people just tuning in, that if your baby cries, you want to give them a few minutes. You can stay away for a little bit. And if you the crying continues, you say, this is an infant. Five minutes is more than enough. What if there's a problem? You want to go into the room, but do not turn the light on. Right. As as much as you can, you want to facilitate like, hey, this is sleep time. This isn't playtime. I'm just coming to help you get back to sleep. So if you do need to go in, we're going to keep the lights off as best we can avoid. Try not to pick them up. Um, even just like a gentle pat, a little rub on the forehead, something to let them know like, okay, mom, dad, they're there. They're going to help me. I can calm down a little bit and help drift off into, into sleepy land. But the more we, the more we engage, the more we interact, pick them up, rock them. Um, sometimes it can help them fall asleep and then they're going to start associating that with sleep. Or other times if we're starting to play with them, we're, we're stimulating them and waking them up. So when we do need to intervene, when you just, you know, you just can't take it anymore, as best you can, make it sort of that low-key mild intervention. And I guess you shouldn't be like granny here that I get into bed with a three-year-old or the four-year-old and we read 17 books and we make up jokes and we make up <laughs> stories and I'm more wide awake at the, or I guess I'm more tired than little Tommy than when it's time. So <laughs> when we go to think about moving um, the little child from crib, or I should say from bassinet to crib, yeah. And then from crib to big boy or big girl bed. Totally. So um, bassinet to crib is mostly about weight and size. You're going to find that they're yeah. growing out of that bassinet um, more quickly than you realize. I think a lot of families will associate bassinet to crib more so in my room versus their own room across the hall where the crib is set up. And we kind of touched on that earlier um, when we're shooting for that. In terms of going from crib to big kid bed, there's a lot of different steps there. So if most of you will may or may not know, cribs have different levels, right? So there's the high level of the crib that's going to be our transition from when we go to the bassinet in there. And then at some point, we're going to drop that to a little bit lower. Um, that'll become pretty apparent when your baby who was once sleeping peacefully on their back is now rolling over and climbing up the sides of the crib. So as soon as they're pulling to stand, which usually is going to come around nine months, maybe a little earlier, maybe a little later, that's time to drop that crib to its lowest position. Mm. Once they're able to pull to stand and climb themselves out of the crib, um, that's when we're thinking about no crib anymore. Usually what the AAP says is when that crib railing is right around their chest, when the crib railing is lower than their chest, which is usually two to three, mm -hmm. that's when we got to think about um, the toddler bed or some kind of bed that's on a flat surface that doesn't have anything that they can get themselves into trouble mm -hmm. with. And so there's so many great toddler beds that are low to the floor, but what if you have a, what if a family has a bed that's, that's more regular adult height do you recommend the bars that you could slip under the mattress? Are they reliable or they can slide out, I guess? False reassurance? Yeah. Yeah. I think I my preference would be a bed that's low to the ground. Um, but I think it's important to 
for families to do what they can in certain situations, mm-hmm. right? And so making sure that if that's all we've got, we can use the wall too. We can bump up right. that, the, that bed to one side of the wall and making sure mm-hmm. that um, things are safe. It, once we're at that point, the kids are old enough that if they're kind of getting themselves stuck in those bumpers, they're able to shimmy themselves out. It's not like we have an infant who doesn't right. have the mobility anymore. Right. I just want to put that in there for, you see people stay overnight at somebody's house or something that put them in a day bed and you want to remind people to push chairs up against the side, whatever, so that you think of the safety of that little toddler. So right. now on to my favorite uh, potty training, um, because um, the American Academy of Pediatrics recommends that the whole process begin only when the child is developmentally ready. So there is no set age. Mm-hmm. But you want to look for those signs of readiness, and that's based on several facets, right? Their behavioral uh, situation, their level of understanding, and their willingness, I guess, too. They want to, if they're fascinated by the whole process of the potty, and let's talk about that. Yeah. So when I when I'm talking to my families about when they're ready, a lot of times mom and dad are ready before the baby or before the toddler, um, but. Kids are ready, I think, about three different things. They think about their ability to communicate, their body's biologic maturity or or readiness, and then the kid's interest. So it's going to be a whole lot easier to potty train a child when they have some way of communicating, hey, I got to go. It doesn't Mm -hmm. necessarily have to be with words, but they have to be able to give us some sign, like it's time for me to go to the potty. Would help if they can follow some instructions as well, too. but again, that, that ability to let us know when it's time. The, there are some more biologic factors that play a role, right? They have to be able to make the connection of this urge, this sensation that I'm feeling in my body means I have to go to the bathroom. Um, their bladder has to get big enough to the point that they can hold it. Mm-hmm. Um, you think about how often our infants are peeing, that certainly would not be fun to potty train. So we got to hold, be able to hold our pee, pee and poop for a little while. Um, and then it helps if we have some of the motor skills to get in and pull down our pants and maneuver ourselves over to the potty. Um, and then I think the other thing that I talk about with with families is I really want them to be interested, like you were saying, like talking about it, watching you go into the bathroom excited. And maybe it's not interested in going to the bathroom or interested in potty training, Mm -hmm. but an interest in doing things on your own, which happens at that toddler stage, that can be just enough. You know, when those two-year-olds are like, no, 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 let me do it. So the, the interest and desire to be independent we can work that into potty training or an interest and desire to, to please mom and dad, to make them happy. Um, that, that'll work well too. So you touch on so many important things because maybe one of the metrics, if you could call it that, is that you notice that a, a child's able to keep his or her diaper dry for at least two hours or it stays dry during a nap, or maybe they, they're not, um, passing stool overnight. Um, and then as you say, you want them to be able to participate willing or actively like they know how to pull down their pants they're able to express either by words or with that a little grunt or they're folding their legs or they're dancing <laughs> they know you know it's time to tinkle um so mm-hmm. they usually start to show these signs at two two and a half but i know 
sometimes with boys, if you wait a little longer, it might be easier for them. Yes. If you wait till they're closer to three. Yeah. Um, I, it seems that sometimes boys will take a little bit longer. I certainly have kids on both ends of the spectrum. I've got boys sure. that are potty trained earlier than girls and vice versa. Um, but probably on the whole, I think boys are a, a little bit longer, but yeah, mm-hmm. most kids are around that like two, two and a half age range. Again, some earlier, some later. It's all about those, those things that we were talking about previously and, and when those kids are hitting that mark. Mm-hmm. You're emphasizing the word ready because connect the dots. But when we were in psychiatry class and we t- talk about stages of development, the oral stage, the anal stage, and people use that expression. So kind of like a pop culture expression, you're such an anal retentive. I would think that if a child's not ready, and as you mentioned, do we start when the parents are ready or when the baby, the child's ready? If you really, really want to be generous for that little child, you want to wait till he or she's ready because they can become frustrated. Yeah. Or even stubborn mm-hmm. about learning and, and it just gets confusing for them. So sometimes we just have to follow the signs. Um, what events might make a mom or dad say, we need to wait a little bit? Yeah, so outside, life events. outside mm-hmm. of not of the kid themselves not being ready, we're going back to what we kind of talked about with sleep training and, and being consistent and having routines. And so if there is a life event that's going to prevent you from being consistent, or if there's something going on that's a new big change, that's a lot for a toddler to handle. So um, the biggest thing that I see is when a new baby brother or sister is born. Um, mm-hmm. Sometimes families will quick try and potty train before the baby comes, then the baby comes, and then we're regressing all over the place. So it's often a little bit better to wait. Um, Like what we were talking about earlier, when we're switching from the crib to a toddler bed, if we're having those big changes. Mm. Um, Other things that may not be great is if we're doing a lot of traveling coming up hard to get to the potties, hard to, um, again, have that consistency. Um, you know, if your little one is sick, not feeling themselves, have, doesn't have good control over their bowel movements, um, that's not going to be fun for anybody to do. Um, and then there are other life events, maybe a move, maybe a change in family situation that can just make it a little bit harder for kids, not impossible. And sometimes, you know, life isn't perfect and you have to do things, um, at inopportune times. But I think if you're, if you have the ability to control it and you're able to, when there's as little as possible going on in the outside world, and we can really focus on this is the skill that we're going to tackle today. I think that's ideal. Yeah. Because let's say the mom or dad is helping to take care of a really sick grandparent or, and there's a change in that routine. The child learns that flexibility is important too. That's what we're saying about sleeping. You can't always ask everybody in the in the household to be quiet, and you can't always guarantee you're going to have the baby in bed by seven thirty every night. So I love talking about the two potty options because I think that what's out there now is absolutely hilarious. The little <laughs> standalone toddler sized potty chair they just make me laugh, or that the little um, seat that you can place on top of the adult toilet seat. I guess if they have their own potty chair, they can sit on there and you can sit on, not, not you, Lauren, but <laughs> no, but like they can watch their brother or sister maybe, or one of their parents just sit on the potty, keeping it modest. But 
they're all important features too to imitate what mommy or daddy do or your big brother yeah exactly and definitely pluses and minuses to both of those those options mm -hmm. right the the little potty chairs are great because um they can get onto them themselves. Um, they can, you can often have them at strategic places in the houses, right? That make it quick and easy to get to. Sometimes when you start with those little potty chairs, it's a harder transition to when you have to use the big potty. It can be a little bit intimidating. Um, but then the kind of the flip side of that, if we use the little seats that we put on to the toilet that kind of make it a little bit smaller, are often harder in the beginning, little, a little bit intimidating, a little bit scary, hard to maneuver up to, but maybe they'll have a, an easier time transitioning to um, the regular toilet. I think in a perfect world, you've got both and you're doing both so that they're exposed to different things and it makes the transition from one to the other a little bit easier. Well, I think the chair is kind of funny because the, some little guys are just really proud of my new um, big bird chair or whatever, whoever is on there, you know, superhero chair. But as you say too, when, um, the seat that fits on the toilet, uh, the adult toilet seat, um, I guess it's hard for little children initially if they, they slide around a little bit or, and feel insecure. So with little boys, I guess we would add maybe a step stool so they can, because initially you would, I guess, encourage them to urinate sitting down. And then exactly. the step stool is another step on the uh, developmental ladder, yeah? Exactly. That's a, a whole new set of challenges. Mm -hmm. um, so when you think about going back to sleep as a child gets to be bigger, um, probably don't want to read Jack and the Beanstalk if they're able to climb out of their crib before they go to sleep. <laughs> <laughs> be judicious. So let's take a little break and more with Dr. Lauren Vandeveer. And now for your real champion, I call this segment, When Paul Ryan Builds a House, He Builds a Home. Like so many great service projects, Habitat for Humanity started when two people planted a seed. Millard and Linda Fuller developed the concept of partnership housing at a small community farm near Americus, Georgia. The plan? Those in need of adequate shelter would work side by side with volunteers to build decent, affordable houses. The first home went to a couple with five children. They moved from an uninsulated shack with no plumbing to a concrete block home with modern kitchen, indoor bathroom, and heating. The new owner's house payments would be combined with no interest loans from supporters and with fundraising would create a fund for humanity to build more homes. In 1973, the Fullers took the concept to Zaire, now the Democratic Republic of Congo, then returned to the U.S. in 1976 and founded Habitat for Humanity International, a global Christian housing organization. Since then, Habitat has built or restored houses in all 50 states and more than 70 countries, helping more than 46 million people achieve strength, stability, and independence through safe, decent, and affordable shelter. The success in large part resulted from the personal involvement of President Jimmy Carter and wife Rosalind for raising awareness. From 1984 through 2019, they worked alongside more than 104,000 volunteers in 14 countries to build or renovate almost 4,000 homes. 
On October 1st, President Carter just celebrated his 99th birthday, which means he volunteered till age 95. Well, you don't have to travel to another country or another state to help. Right here near Philly is Habitat for Humanity of Montgomery and Delaware counties. Recently, I had the good fortune to meet Alexandra Zeiger, Director of Marketing and Communications for this local office. She's very enthusiastic about her role in spreading the word about the mission. I asked her about volunteers, and immediately she referred to a man who is truly the face of their affiliate and their ambassador of goodwill, Paul Rhine. He began volunteering in 1997. During college, he spent his summers framing houses and came to love construction work, so he knew he could give back to the community by sharing these skills. So every Saturday, and even during summer vacation, he would volunteer for Habitat. He retired in 2012 and found joy in contributing three to four days a week. He was volunteering so much that Habitat made him an official employee. On the day we spoke, 79-year-old Paul Ryan was digging ditches and building fences for four houses at a site in Lansdowne in Delaware County. A site gets about 10 volunteers a day, but not every day. No past experience is required. He's worked with semi-professionals all the way to those who have never picked up a hammer. They do everything except for electricity, plumbing, and HVAC. Families moving in are asked to provide sweat equity, meaning they're asked to work on the house for 200 hours. Paul just finished building four houses in Hatfield. He talks about one woman in particular who was so generous. She made them food every day, even a birthday cake for Paul. She has a daughter in high school and a son who's paralyzed. Paul proudly describes the stair lift they built and a device on the second floor that helps transfer the young man from his bed to bathroom so mom doesn't have to carry him. Paul grew up in a Catholic family and was instilled with the virtues of generosity and humility, which were reinforced by the Jesuits at St. Joe's Prep and the Augustinians at Villanova. He graduated in May of 1967 and a week later, joined the Army, served in Vietnam for a year as an infantry soldier. He will only share that it was an okay experience. He met some really good people in the Army and saw how people had to live in a country torn by war. It was disruptive and uncertain. He adds, I'm still here because God has a plan for me. Well, Habitat is partnering with the Veterans Affairs Office of Delaware County, and it's great to hear that one of the four houses at the current site is reserved for a local veteran who is a needy mother. Paul Ryan is a veteran, still serving his country and his fellow countrymen. Paul spent his career as an accountant with the U.S. Security and Exchange Commission, and no surprise, along with his manual labor, he also shares his knowledge of finances giving all that he can every day so others can live with dignity. We salute you, Paul Ryan, and all the wonderful volunteers, staff, and board members of Habitat for Humanity, especially at our local affiliate in Montgomery and Delaware County. Want to volunteer or share a few dollars? Visit the website, habitatmontdelco.org. That's Habitat, M-O-N-T-D-E-L-C-O.org. And if that's too hard to remember, Habitat.org and find your local chapter. 
Today's edition of Your Radio Doctor with Dr. Marianne Ritchie, presented exclusively by Independence Blue Cross, can be enjoyed anytime, anywhere, at your convenience. Just download the Odyssey app and search Your Radio Doctor. It's health education on demand. Millions of Americans are losing their medical assistance or Medicaid coverage. If this affects you, Independence Blue Cross can help. You may be eligible to enroll in a health plan for as little as $0 a month. With Independence Blue Cross, you get the largest provider network in the area, including most Keystone First doctors and hospitals. We also offer free 24-7 telemedicine, coverage for hospital stays and prescriptions. See if you qualify for $0 health insurance and enroll today. Call Independence Blue Cross at 1-844-464-2583 or visit ibx.com slash stay covered. Your radio doctor, Dr. Marianne Ritchie, now Saturday afternoons at 5, presented exclusively by Independence Blue Cross. This program is paid for by Your Radio Doctor, LLC. Welcome back to Your Radio Doctor. We're learning such great tips from Dr. Lauren Vandeveer of Children's Hospital of Philadelphia about helping your baby get safe and efficient sleep and helping train your toddler to how to use the potty. So, Lauren, we talked about um, so many good things already. Um, potty chair option versus a little seat that you put on the adult toilet seat. Um, reasons you might want to hesitate in training and a good age to start. What about the magic of getting your child interested and involved and, and making this fun and interesting to them? Yeah. So when I talk to families about when we're going to, how we kind of get them excited. This is when I tell them that, look, your privacy goes out the window. So the more they can see you go into the bathroom, the more they can experience that and watching other people do things is really going to do wonders. Um, So you don't get any of that private time in the bathroom to yourselves. Um, The more we can read about it, learn about it. There are a whole lot of good books out there um, that will kind of get spark their interest as well. Um, and then I think one of the big things too, is like excitement around the topic. And whenever they are going to the bathroom on the toilet, just making it the biggest deal ever. Like, you know, you just won the lottery. I think it's, it's fun. It's fun. (laughs) Um, I think one thing that I talk to families about is This is a a critical example of when we want to do a lot of positive praise. Um, And it's a hard skill to master, but when they do, we're going to go crazy for them. Making sure that we're as little as possible, avoiding kind of like punishment or negative when they're, when they have accidents, because it's going to happen. But really this whole catch them being good and catch them doing a great job is great, especially for potty training. Mm -hmm. And we're going to share with our listeners, um, uh, articles on the CHOP website that they can read that say, praise every attempt, whether it's successful or not, even if nothing happens. That's the other thing. If you don't, you want to try to uh, go potty, you want to try to tinkle. And if it doesn't happen, you say, no problem. We'll, we'll try again in a half hour because th- you want that little child to understand that accidents will happen. And maybe if they do, um, you know, wet their pants or their diaper or something, maybe have them help clean it up in a you know, in an appropriate way. Let's want you and let them see you empty um, soil diaper into the toilet. That's another trick, I guess. That this is where poopy goes. It goes yep. into yep. the and, abyss. And, 
and in the beginning, they're not going to know like, oh, hey, it's time to pee. I have to go tell mom and we're going to go sit on the toilet. And so in the beginning, we're going to give them opportunities to sit on the toilet, even when they don't have to go. Having timed intervals of like, hey, this we're taking a break to sit on the potty and try to go to the bathroom. And in the beginning, it's just going to be sitting. They're not going to realize what they need to do, but making sure that they're comfortable, that they're getting that exposure. Sometimes we can time it kind of around mealtimes. That's when you start to have that reflex to, to go to the bathroom. So Mm -hmm. like once we finish up a meal, sit in on the potty then. Um, But all of these things to get the child comfortable and ready for that, for that experience. And maybe in the beginning, try letting them sit on the potty for the novelty of it, even if they're dressed (laughs) and then bare bottomed. I was reading an article that said some people suggest that you give them bubbles to blow and without them realizing they're bearing down, they're doing the Valsalva maneuver, which we all have to do to empty. And that then if by coincidence, a little fluid or solid comes out, bingo, we are large and in charge. Um, And you don't want to force them. You don't want to make them sit against their will. Um, We talked about letting them see uh, siblings or parents use the potty. And if um, it's kind of helpful in the beginning to make it a little bit of a game and ask them, sometimes you know they're ready when they start to say, I went, my diaper's wet or Mm-hmm. however they would say it. Um, I went poopy on my diaper. And that lets you know, too, that they don't want to be uncomfortable. Um, so we talked earlier about maybe some of the signs that you know it's time to move on is if they wake from a nap um, or even if they're still dry a half hour plus after drinking a lot of fluids. Um, mm-hmm. And I like what you said, too. If a lot of times, GI Josephine here, Gastro, you put something in your stomach, it turns your colon on. Your assembly line goes on maybe half hour, an hour after dinner. If you notice that's a time when your child has a bowel movement, maybe that's a good time to practice offering them to sit on the potty and read a little bit or see if that can. How about rewards? Tell us about that. I think that's so cute too. Every kid is a little bit different, but a lot of kids are really driven and motivated by rewards. And so I am a big fan of sticker charts if they work for your child and it doesn't have to be anything crazy, but Hey, if we've got, if we've got a little sticker chart on the wall and every time they go pee or poop in the potty, they get to put a sticker on the chart. And when you get (laughs) your stickers all the way to this line, or you get stickers in all these boxes, then you get a treat. And again, something little, um, doesn't have to be anything crazy, but like you get to go out for ice cream with mom, or you get to pick a toy out at the dollar store. Um, they're, they're, uh, they're really driven by, um, the rewards. And again, that's more of that positive praise. And so that can really, that can work, um, really well for a lot of kids. Mm-hmm. Or maybe they get to pick out a, a new pair of big boy, or big girl underwear. That's kind of Perfect. fun too. Um, yeah. So how long might it take? Um, again, I'm sure that varies with each child. Yeah. Um, every kid is different. I've got families who will come in and say, yep, we did three days and we're potty trained in three days. That's probably the outlier. On average, I would say it's a couple of months for daytime potty training, maybe three to six months to get to that stage where we're really not having any accidents. Um, The night is longer. It's going to take a little bit longer to stay dry overnight, and it's not crazy or unheard of at all to still be having some accidents at four or five. Usually, it's like five or six where we're finally getting Mm -hmm. dry overnight. So... um if there were steps to toileting, I'm kind of chuckling because I didn't know that was a verb before, but um, in helping your child become <laughs> comfortable with using their potty, how would you 
list those steps? So I think, you know, the first thing is getting there, right? So number one, get ourselves to the potty. That's why it can be helpful to have them scattered around the house sometimes. Um, Mm -hmm. The next step is getting ready to go. So engaging them to pull down their pants, pull down their underwear. This would be a good time to have easy off clothes, not, you know, any fancy buttons or zippers that are going to make things challenging. Um, And then they're going to sit in that position in a perfect world. Their feet are flat flat on the floor or a little step stool so that they can um, get all those muscles in the the perfect position to to start going. and then this seems a little bit silly, but we want them to, to relax. We want them to mm-hmm. be comfortable. If you had somebody yelling at you or a stressful environment, you're not going to be able to go. Right. Um, then eventually, hopefully, they're going to go. The next step is hygiene, making sure that we're teaching them the hygiene afterwards. And perfect hygiene comes way, way later after potty training, but there's never, never too early to start and to teach those good practices. Um, Then we're getting off, pulling our pants back up, teaching them to flush the toilet, and then hygiene again, making sure that we're always showing them after we go potty, we're washing our hands. It seems silly, but like it's a process and as it's secondhand to us now, but we got to start teaching them. Oh, listen, Uh, That was really beautifully done. And there's steps that we all know to do. But when people are in a hurry, how many times have you been at a restroom and you notice people come out, shut the door and, you know, on the stall and then leave the bathroom and don't wash their hands? (laughs) I I did uh, a summary on one of the shows a year or two ago that airports are super spreaders, meaning we used to get to the airport, hand your ticket in or whatever. Now everything's a kiosk. We touch so many things. And if you go into an airport potty, watch the people from all over the world sharing all kinds of cooties. (laughs) And they use the bathroom. They don't wash their hands. And then they touch the kiosk that you touch and that another 10,000 people have touched before you. Please, listeners, teach your babies to wash their hands and make Mm -hmm. it fun. And, and, you know, the 20 seconds of COVID, sing happy birthday while they do it. But also cleaning themselves is so important because – even if they don't do it perfectly, it's the concept. It's the concept of knowing how to, you know, clean up after you've had a tinkle or a, or a poopy. Um, and then the best use of training pants. How does that, I mean, like that can be a game too that we already talked about. That's kind of a fun thing. You get to pick out your new underpants. Yes, exactly. Um, and I think, you know, at nighttime, because that can lag behind having a pull up or something on at nighttime is okay. Um, one thing that can be hard for kids is if, again, going back to consistency, if you start adding those pull ups during the day, and that can just be totally confusing. So then they're going to be like, wait, but sometimes I'm allowed to pee in my pants and sometimes I'm not. So I think when we're really trying hard for to, to potty train, skipping and pull ups during the day. Um, but the training pants at night, nighttime can be helpful. Mm-hmm. And I guess giving the child words to express himself or herself too. Yeah. Like potty and totally. The books mm-hmm. can be really helpful with that too. There's a lot of really cute ones. Um, and sometimes we don't know exactly what the words to say are, but they're, they're out there. Mm-hmm. One of the things you mentioned too, and I, I went off on a tangent about it, but I think it's important. Um, two things. If a child is potty trained or well on his or her way, and then they regress, um, you as the pediatrician have to say, okay, are they upset because 
their grandmother died or mm -hmm. do they have some kind of infection? You know, is it a, a medical issue that I have to address? So for parents, it's really a good idea. You're not going to log every time your child uses the bathroom, but if you'd see a change, you do want to jot some notes somewhere to be able to say, this is what we've seen. Exactly. Exactly. And there are all kinds of reasons for, for challenges with potty training or regression or just not being successful. I think one thing that I always emphasize to families that's really important is we want this to be a positive experience back to the positive praise and anything that's going to make this not fun or not not enjoyable is going to prevent the child from wanting to do it again. One of the biggest causes mm -hmm. of that is constipation. If it hurts when it's right. going out or it's hard for them, it's they're they're not going to enjoy it. It's going to cause withholding and it's going to cause us lots of problems with with trying to toilet train. So when you're thinking, "Hey, I'm going to make this step and I want to get these this kid potty trained," that's the time to make sure we're increasing the water, lots of fiber in the diet, um whatever we can do to help them so that it's soft coming out so that they are not scared to do it again. Not working. Yeah. Fruits yeah. and veggies. And I was saying the tangent that constipation sometimes, uh, you know, that's been my whole practice of helping people get to the middle and not too slow, not too fast. But sometimes it's, uh, I don't like to go in a public place or mm -hmm. I was in the middle of a conversation and I didn't want to interrupt it. So I held on to it and then they lose the urge. Mm -hmm. And if you get into that habit, but with a little child, if they're resisting because they've been shamed or been given negative feedback, that's where you become uh, Nancy Drew and have to figure that out. Let's take a little break and we'll be back for our wrap up. Your Radio Doctor with Dr. Marianne Ritchie is presented exclusively by Independence Blue Cross. I'm always striving to live my healthiest life, so I need a health plan that has my back. With Independence Blue Cross, I get access to the largest network of doctors and hospitals in the region and free virtual doctor visits 24-7. Plus, with premiums as low as $0 per month, I can stay on top of my health and keep my budget in check. Independence has given me coverage I can count on, and they'll do the same for you. Learn more about your coverage options at ibx.com. When Recovery Centers of America at Devon opened its campuses on the main line and in South Jersey, they offered a new approach, local addiction treatment led by an expert, caring team of professionals. RCA has since helped thousands and leads the way in innovative programs and exceptional inpatient and outpatient care, all in a beautiful setting that allows for healing and recovery. RCA answers the phone and admits patients 24-7, 365, including the holidays. All admitted patients and staff are routinely tested for COVID-19. Call now at 1-888-RECOVERY. That's 1-888-RECOVERY. Welcome back to our final segment of Your Radio Doctor. We have had so much fun learning about sleep training and potty training for little children and infants with Dr. Lauren Vandeveer from Children's Hospital of Philadelphia. And she sees patients, primary care patients, in the Westchester office. Our final segment is called Your Weekly Prescription. Lauren, thank you for being here. How would you deliver the message to our listeners, uh, wrap up what we learned today? I think the common theme in all of this is consistency and routine um, in sleep training and potty training. This is, uh, you know, whenever your child is going to be learning a new skill, that's the best thing that we can do for them is making sure that they're getting the clues that they need 
to master this skill and that we're being consistent. I think another really important takeaway is that all of this is so dependent on your child and your family. Every kid is different. Every child is unique and every family situation is unique too. And so I can sit here and rattle off like these are the ways to sleep train and these are the way to potty trade, but you need to do what works best for you and your family, right? Like, um, you know, your kid the best, you know, your situation the best. So take all of these little tips and incorporate what's going to help you succeed and what's going to help your, your child succeed. And watch for the feedback from your child too, because you've emphasized so well that it's a, it should be a positive experience because this is setting up a lifetime pattern. And um, early on, they want to be uh, comfortable with using the bathroom and all those other steps in the process. Wash your hands, wash your hands, wash your hands for all kinds of reasons. We go out in public and we use a shopping cart that so many people have touched or we're using kiosks and all these things. Then you turn around and pick up you know, a donut or a sandwich and eat it without washing your hands. No. And it all starts in that um, potty training period and hand washing aside. Yes, exactly. Um, Kids and toddlers especially are little sponges and they're just absorbing everything around them. And they're also imitating everything that they see. And so as much as this is a a teaching and um, learning the new skills, it's imitating actions and and showing them and modeling good behavior too. Well, it's, it's always interesting, sometimes scary to realize what these little baby dolls hear us say. And so I have a two-year-old grandson who just is hilarious. And I was changing his diaper one day and he had a number two. And I always make it funny and fun and all that kind of thing. And I said, woo, granny's going to faint. Oh my gosh. And he laughed and laughed to the tears were coming out of his eyes. And I said, this is a weapon of mass destruction. This is a major stink bomb. A week goes by. He comes into the kitchen. I'm visiting again. And he says to his mother, mommy, I have a major stink bomb. <laughs> so I think that might be something you share with your, your, your mother's advice. Tell, give them real big people words. Lauren, if people wanted to read more, Children's Hospital has the most awesome website. How would you direct people? Or where would you tell them to um review the tips that you offer today. Definitely. Oh, there's a ton of great resources on there about a lot of different pediatric topics like the ones that we discussed today, but so much more too. So we, you can go to shop.edu um, and it has a search tool and you can search any of these topics that we're, that we're talking about or other things that you might be struggling with. You can also sign up for health tip emails. Um, CHOP sends out some regular communication and then shops on all the social media platforms too. They're on Instagram and Twitter and they're constantly putting out little tips about things that are relevant um, to raising children or specific seasons. Mm-hmm. And timely, sure. So if you want to be uh, a regular recipient of emails, you can join an email list as well? Yep, exactly. It's right there on the, on the site. So it's so easy to remember Children's Hospital Philadelphia is CHOP, chop.edu. That opens the world and then they can look for sleep or potty training or whatever the issue. Yes, exactly. Well, I guess our next big topic will be fussy eating because that's a whole, (laughs) that's a two hour show. Yes. Well, Lauren, (laughs) I can't thank you enough. And you are in the Westchester office. There's an office in Newtown. There's so many offices for, for children's hospital, King of Prussia. Can you mention a couple more while we're 
We have our listeners. Yeah, we are all over the place. We've got places in New Jersey. We've got places in um, Delaware County and all the way out to, to Coatesville and West Grove. Beautiful. So you can you can also go on CHOP's website and find the different primary care locations. Excellent. But we're, we're truly all over. Lauren, thank you so much. Thanks for having me, Marianne. Thank you for listening to your Radio Doctor today and every Saturday at 5 p.m. here on Talk Radio 1210 WPHT. You can hear this show again or any of our other 178 shows on odyssey.com. That's A-U-D-A-C-Y.com. Follow us and like us on social media, Facebook, LinkedIn, Instagram, and X. Well, that spooky time of year is sneaking up on us. So this Tuesday, our focus is on Hocus Pocus. Yes, it's time to make my big batch of witch's brew for the family, complete with Eye of Newt. And just after I make a tray of Frankenfurters, I'll bat my eyelashes. So here are some safety tips for your little goblins and superheroes. Children should be with a responsible adult. And as you go through your neighborhood, hold your child's hand. Children are twice as likely to be hit by a car and killed on Halloween than any other day. They're excited, distracted, and may take shortcuts when crossing the street. Plus, drivers may be texting or distracted by costumes. Carry a flashlight so you can see and drivers can see you. Be sure the mask doesn't make it hard to see or hear and wear sturdy shoes to prevent falls. Be sure makeup is non-toxic. Test a small area on the child's skin first and wash it off before bedtime. For older kids going alone, review the route and state a specific time to be home. And tell kids, never enter a stranger's home or car. Don't eat any treats till they come home, especially homemade treats, because you have to consider food allergies. But also, rainbow fentanyl can look like candy. For drivers, go slowly and duh, don't drink, do drugs, or text while you drive at any time. Wait behind a car that stops. It might be dropping off a group of children. And let's keep those inexperienced drivers off the road. Use battery-operated lights at home instead of candles in your jack-o'-lanterns. Keep your pets away from candy and candles. And don't let them escape when you open the door for trick-or-treaters. Finally, please pray for peace in our world, our country, our cities, families, and in our own hearts. This is your radio doctor, Dr. Marianne Ritchie, wishing you a spooky, happy, healthy, and safe week with the ones you love. And always here to remind you that your health is your wealth. Thanks for listening to your radio doctor, Dr. Marianne Ritchie, presented exclusively by Independence Blue Cross. To contact Dr. Marianne and to listen to today's show as well as past shows, visit yourradiodoctor.com. This program is paid for by Your Radio Doctor, LLC. All opinions or statements expressed on this program are solely those of Your Radio Doctor and their guests and do not reflect the opinions of WPHT or Odyssey. Today's program has been pre-recorded. Millions of Americans are losing their medical assistance or Medicaid coverage. If this affects you, Independence Blue Cross can help. You may be eligible to enroll in a health plan for as little as $0 a month. With Independence Blue Cross, you get the largest provider network in the area, including most Keystone First doctors and hospitals. We also offer free 24-7 telemedicine, coverage for hospital stays and prescriptions. See if you qualify for $0 health insurance and enroll today. Call Independence Blue Cross at 1-844-464-2583 or visit ibx.com slash stay covered.